I am so thankful to God for my brother Tim, who has uh, put together this worship that we are so blessed and enjoy. Lead us to the throne of grace, get our heart right and our mind right to worship and to uh, prepare our hearts for the word of God. Please open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, and that's uh, page 1430 in the Pew Bible, 1430. An outline has been provided uh, on a church bulletin so you can take notes and follow along. This morning, I want us to first look at verses 23 through 26 so we can get a greater understanding of the context of this great passage of Scripture. And that it is my desire this morning to preach through verses 27 through 29. The title of the message is True Saving Faith. If you're able this morning, I would like to ask you to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. Thank you. Hebrews 11 was written to show us the absolute priority of true saving faith. This is tremendously important for us to see because God cannot be approached in any other way. God cannot be approached by good works, ritual, or some kind of religious ceremony. We read in Isaiah 64, 6, where it says that good works apart from true saving faith are nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. You see, God can only be accessed by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, specifically believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, and resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation. This is the point of the entire 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. This is what true saving faith looks like as seen in the lives of Old Testament saints. True saving faith is not an empty profession that is mere words. True saving faith is not going through some empty ritual or some unbiblical religious ceremony or some kind of self-righteous works that elevates man and diminishes the glory of God. No, instead, true saving faith is a living faith, and it is a relationship with a true and living God, not dead religion. True saving faith is a committed life to God that is dynamic, supernatural, and always life-changing. True saving faith is active. It lives itself out. It is not passive. It does not just sit and do nothing. True saving faith will radically change who you are and how you live out your entire Christian life. By faith, you will never be the same again. 
By faith you will worship God through a blood sacrifice as Abel did. By faith you will walk with God like Enoch did. By faith you will stand alone in righteousness like Noah did. By faith you will move out of your comfort zone and follow God like Abraham did. By faith you will trust God and receive strength like Sarah did. By faith you will refuse the world and the things of the world like Moses did. All of these essential components of true saving faith are witnessed in these lives of the heroes of the faith and are listed in the book of Hebrews for our sanctification. I believe these marks of true saving faith should be witnessed in the lives of all of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and put our faith and trust in him and in him alone. You know, as I looked at this book of Hebrews and I I seen the names in chapter 11 and I went into the Old Testament and I see how God worked in and through these saints' lives in, in a smaller way, yet in a very significant way. I believe God has put these gems, these heroes of the faith in our congregation and congregations throughout the land. For instance, this morning as I'm sitting and preparing my heart to worship, I see my brother Ken walking down the church here to sit down. You know, he comes in, and maybe it takes all of him to do is to get into that seat. That's true saving faith. There would be nowhere else my brother would rather be than be here and worshiping God with God's people. I see my sister Dorothy come in for the last two weeks now after the operations and the pain that she's been through. Yet there's no place on earth she would rather be than to be here worshiping God. I remember 10, 12 years ago joining the church and Fred Schwamm shaking my hand with a big smile. The second day he knew, second time Sunday I came, he knew my kid's name, my wife's name, greeted me with a smile, made me feel loved. Sid Williams, Gene Conde, there are men and women that God have raised up in this fellowship. They are the heroes of faith in my life. They've encouraged me in my walk with the Lord. They've seen things. They have great wisdom. And we should cherish them as a church and speak to them. Spend time with them. For you, it's amazing what you'll learn. I spend a lot of some time with Harvey and Betty Manuel. And I've read Harvey's testimony of why he got in the church in the ministry of tapes and audio. And then going down to the nursing homes and playing the music and putting the CDs out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the heroes of the faith that have been so important in my life. I hope and pray all of us would enjoy them and cherish them as God has put before us these heroes of the faith in chapter 11 for our sanctification and to bless our hearts. Now this morning we are going to put the spotlight on the life of Moses, as the text demands us to do. We could not have a greater example before us in the Holy Scriptures than the life of Moses. I believe it can be argued that the faith of Moses was the strongest faith in the entire Old Testament. This statement is supported by the text in front of us this morning. Look at the predominant place that Moses has in this very chapter, chapter 11. Five times in this chapter we read, by faith, Moses. The next closest in this chapter is Abraham, where three times it is said of Abraham, by faith. Enoch, Abel, Noah are only mentioned once in this chapter. Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph are only mentioned once along with Rahab. And Gideon, Barak, Samson, Joseph, David, and Samuel all lumped together in one verse. And the rest, they're anonymous. Their names are not even mentioned. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses. Verse 24. By faith, Moses. Verse 27. By faith, he referring to Moses. Verse 28. By faith, he again referring to Moses. And verse 29, by faith they, referring to Moses and those who followed his example. And so Moses is presented to us 
as the champion of faith. Now this passage forces us to ask this question this morning. What was it about the faith of Moses that made it so strong, that made it so dynamic, that made it so vibrant and supernatural? In this passage before us, God is bringing our attention to this kind of true saving faith in the life of Moses, bearing witness to us how we are to live out this great gift of faith in our Christian life. This morning, I want to draw your attention from this passage of Scripture to four essential marks of true saving faith in the life of Moses and four essential marks that ought to be present in the lives of us who have been saved by the grace and the mercy of God. It is my prayer today that these marks of true saving faith would become more developed, become more evident in our lives and in the life of God's church. May this message this morning edify the body of Christ and bring glory to his name. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let us pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you, Lord, for the the men and women and the lives that you have surrounded us with. We thank you for your word, Lord, because it builds our strength. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the saints that pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this church, and we thank you, Lord, for Pastor Musser, Lord God. And and now, Lord God, I, I just... We lay spiritual hands on this man and Joyce and their family, Lord. We pray that they're having a sweet time of family time and togetherness and unity in Christ, Lord God. We thank you for for his uh, ministry and his love for this church. And Lord God, I pray as we look at this text today, that you would sanctify your people, Lord God, that you would strengthen us in our walk, Lord God, that we would... Embrace these assurances and these truths, Lord God, in our lives and walk in them. And Lord God, I also pray as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see your judgment. We see your perfect, holy anger towards sin and unrighteousness. And Lord God, as it points to Christ and his resurrection and the great work of salvation on the cross... I pray that those who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would open their eyes, Lord, and their hearts to see their need for Christ and for the cross of Jesus. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Okay, let us go through this passage of Scripture phrase by phrase and pull out the four marks of true saving faith in the life of Moses and apply them to our walk of faith today. The first mark is seen in verse 27. True saving faith is marked by great courage, great courage. The faith of Moses was an audacious faith that was marked by great courage for God. We read in verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt. In other words, he left the world's system. He left the interests and the wants and the attractions of that day. And it says he left Egypt. That powerful word left means to utterly forsake. It's a hard renunciation. You see, Moses did more than just leave Egypt physically. He left with the entirety of who he was. He left with all his heart and soul and mind. He cut every cord. He burned every bridge, and with great courage, God brought his people out of bondage, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and directly before the promised land. And even when those same people, Moses freed from the bondage of Pharaoh, grumbled and complained and said, O Moses, did you bring us out here to to die, and desired in their hearts to go back to Egypt, to go back under the bondage of Pharaoh? Moses did not waver. Moses did not cower under pressure. Moses was strong. Moses was bold and courageous in his faith that when he crossed that line in the sand between Egypt and the wilderness, 
There was no turning back. I would like to ask you a question this morning. Have you drawn a line in the sand from where you were delivered and where you are now walking with the Lord? Is there a separation in your life from the things of this world and the interests and the wants and the ways of God? Is there compromise in your life? Or is there a clear-cut line between the things of God and honoring Christ and walking in the ways of the Lord, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the friends that you have, the relationships that you have, is there a line in the sand? Because 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, for I am holy. God calls his people to be holy, to be set apart. True, courageous faith draws a line in the sand like Moses. He separates himself from the things of Egypt. We are called to separate ourselves from the things of this world. This is what courageous faith does. You see in this text it says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. We need to understand this is the second time Moses left Egypt. Moses left Egypt for the first time at the age of 40 when he killed an Egyptian. And he slithered away and went out into the wilderness, a defeated man, fearing the king. But now, 40 years later, at the age of 80, he is now leaving Egypt in a completely different way. He is a completely different man now. He has matured and grown in his faith and has deepened in his commitment to the Lord. And this time, when he leaves Egypt, the text says he leaves not fearing the wrath of the king. What was the difference? It was the growth of his faith in the Lord. This departure from Egypt, of which verse 27 speaks of, is speaking of the exodus of Egypt and the dramatic confrontations between Moses and Pharaoh. Do you recall those confrontations in the book of Exodus? where Moses stood face to face ten times before the most powerful man on the face of the earth and told him to let God's people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God as Moses pronounced ten plagues against Pharaoh and the gods, small g, of the people of that day. Moses was strengthened in his faith and his resolve to do the will of God. And every time we hear Moses repeat those words in the scriptures, let God's people go, you can hear through those passages of scripture this mark of courageous faith, sanctifying the life of God's servant, Moses. You see, Moses stepped forward to do the will of God. And humanly speaking, this was more challenging and almost an absolute impossibility to accomplish in his own strength. The scriptures say he did not fear the wrath of the king. I want you to know this morning the fear of man is one of Satan's most effective weapons. If Satan can cause us to be fearful of man and fearful of doing what is right and fearful of doing the will of God, then we will live a paralyzed and defeated life. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And as a result of this truth, so many times we wrestle in our hearts as we follow the Lord, losing our popularity in this world, losing our friendships, our old friendships, losing our positions at work. We become fearful of the criticisms of others and fitting into the crowds we were once so comfortable with and avoiding confrontations at any cost. I want you to know this fear does not come from God, but from Satan, and it is motivated by the sinful flesh. You see, we need to walk in the spirit of Christ. This, this um, fear is a millstone that is tied around our ankles, which holds us back from doing what God calls us to do. And what is that? To be salt and light in this world. 
And the saints of God have wrestled with the same thing throughout the ages. We're not alone. None of us here this morning are exempt from the fear of man. Abraham was afraid and told a lie about Sarah. Isaac was afraid and told a lie about Rebekah. Jacob was afraid and fled Laban. Aaron was afraid and, and caved into the desires of the people and built a golden calf. Israel was afraid to enter into the land of Canaan because there were giants there. David was afraid and ran from Absalom. Saul was afraid and listened to the people rather than the voice of the Lord. And Peter was afraid and denied Christ three times. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 1 says, Do not be afraid. This speaks of the frailty of our human emotions and how easy it is for us to tremble and to work up worst-case scenarios in our minds before they even take place and becoming fearful. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 56, 4 says, In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And the answer is, nothing outside the sovereign will of Almighty God. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, If the Lord is for me, now the Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, capital H, who is able to destroy both soul and and body in hell. What Jesus is saying to us is, do, do you not know how to overcome the fear of man? You need to have a holy fear of God within your heart and soul. And the greater fear, fear will displace the lesser fear. And the more we reverence God in our lives, and the more we hold out God in awe and magnify his name in our lives, the more the fear of man will move away from our hearts and our souls. Romans 8, verse 15 says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. It is God who is the author and perfecter of a faith, that is a courageous faith. Let me ask you a question this morning where God has you in your life. Who do you fear? Do you fear your boss? Do you fear your coworker? Do you fear the, fear the lady in the exercise class? Who do you fear? When you're at a store and somebody says, like this morning, I like your tie. And there's five people around. They say, well, what does your tie say? And I said, it says, I love Jesus. And that's the cross. That courage and strength does not come from me. It comes from the Spirit of God that lives in me. You see, when you have a holy fear of God, the fear of man diminishes in the background. For us to move forward in the will of God, there must be a triumph of courage in our life. And it can only come from the work of true saving faith in our hearts and souls. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. May God put in our hearts today a desire to live out our faith with boldness and courage in a land where there is great hostility towards him and the gospel of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to clarify what this courageous faith looks like. It doesn't come from the flesh. It's not arrogant. It's not pompous. It's not loud. It's tempered. It comes from within. It's like a fire that burns in the soul and it's just sitting in there. And when, when, you're test, when your faith is tested or you need to make a stand for Christ or to be bold in your faith, 
That's when that courage and that strength comes out. It's tempered and it's from the Spirit of God. It's not in the flesh. The second mark of true saving faith is having spiritual sight. Or in other words, having spiritual eyes to see God's hand working in and through the circumstances in our lives. Strengthening our faith and our dependence on Him. We see in the second part of verse 27 the phrase, for he endured. Meaning that Moses persevered in his commitment to leave Egypt. You see, this commitment wasn't a short-lived commitment that was quickly forgotten. Like when they faced troubles in the wilderness, running out of food and water, and wanting to run back to Egypt. No, Moses endured. He persevered in the will of God. Notice in the text before us, how did he do this? How did the faith of Moses persevere in the face of such overwhelming circumstances? The answer is found at the end of verse 27. The text says, as seeing him who is unseen. He certainly wasn't looking to Pharaoh. He certainly wasn't looking at those around him grumbling and complaining and who were weak in their faith. Rather, he was looking unto God who is unseen. You see, he didn't see him physically with the naked eye. No, this means he's seen him spiritually, who is unseen physically. In other words, Moses responded to God's command as though he was standing visibly right in front of him. Moses made a decision in his heart to focus on God rather than to focus on the king's wrath. This is what true saving faith does. Faith doesn't look at that which is seen. Faith looks at him who is unseen. Faith doesn't look at man who is seen, which creates fear. But true faith, genuine faith, looks to God which creates a strong, unmovable, unchangeable faith in God. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, it speaks up to this very point. Paul writes, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a choice where you decide to put your focus on in life. You see, Paul was surrounded by all kinds of adversity and all kinds of difficulties on every side of him. Yet Paul says, I am not going to even look at these things. Instead, I'm going to look unto him who is unseen. The one who pulls me through the valleys with supernatural power and causes me to press on for the greater reward, which is eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're fading away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. They are the things of real substance. You know, I, before I was saved, I used to go to Disney every year. Uh, my family and my kids were little. We used to go every year. And man, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy going there. I enjoyed the week or 10 days or whatever it was just being away from my job and being alone with my wife and family. And what a great joy it was. As soon as I got home, you know, I come home, the grass is high, now i got to cut the grass. My job's called me. Everything starts pressing on that joy. Eventually it's gone. It, it, it fades away like that. It's like buying a new car. You pull it in the driveway, you walk around it about 10 times, admire it. By a month later, there's a scratch on it, you know. But when Jesus Christ gave me a new heart and he gave me a love for him, that joy is undiminished. I've seen these baptisms and witnessed these baptisms last week. It is a joy that nobody can take away from you, brother and sisters. To know Christ in your heart and to love him with all your heart and soul and mind. There is no circumstances. There are no events. There is nothing that this world can take away from that. That is true eternal joy. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. And what Paul is saying is we need to look away from the things, those relationships, those circumstances in our lives, which paralyze us and our walk with the Lord and focus upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember Matthew 14, when Jesus sent his disciples into the Sea of Galilee in a small boat, and the Lord sent a great storm unto that sea to teach them a lesson of faith while Jesus was up in the mountains praying. And I think it was the fourth watch of the night. And you can just picture this. It's dark. They're in this little boat. The waves are coming over. The seas are rough. You can't, I can, as I look at that passage, I can sense the fear and the panic that they had. Many of us sense that kind of fear and panic in our lives and the things that, the rough seas that we're going through in life. And here comes Jesus walking across the water. And Peter looks unto the Lord. And he says, Lord, bid me to come to you. So it be that God's people, when we're going through the storms of life, look for Christ, turn to Christ. Turn to God's people. And we hear in that passage Jesus say, come. And Peter, with his eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, walked on water to Jesus. What a picture of saving faith. But what happens? As he's walking on the water, he starts looking around him. He gets his eyes off Christ and starts looking at the water and he, the seas and he's walking on it. What happens? The passage says he starts to drown in the water. But the mercy and the grace of our Savior reaching down and picking him up. What a great picture of faith and God's mercy and his grace. You see what made the faith of Moses so dynamic and so supernatural, it was a faith marked by spiritual sight, looking unto the Lord in all circumstances in his life. May it be so in our lives as well. Now, there's a third mark of true saving faith, and I want you to see in verse 28. True saving faith is marked by great obedience, great obedience to God's word. The scriptures say that by faith, he kept the Passover. This word kept means to obey. He obeyed the word of God regarding the instruction he received concerning the Passover. He kept it. He obeyed it. He held fast to what God said. Moses obeyed God even when what he was being asked to do seemed awful strange to him. God said to Moses in the book of Exodus, chapters 11 and 12, I want you to take a lamb without spot or blemish, pointing to Christ, and kill the lamb, pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. Take the blood and put it in a basin. Take a hyssop, dab it into the basin, and apply the blood to the lentils and the doorposts of your house. And in the New Testament, we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives. No one shall go outside their doors until the next morning. And how easy it was for Moses to say to himself, this makes no sense. This is irrational. We've never done this before. But Moses had a faith in God that did not question God. If God said it, that settled it. If God's word spoke to him concerning this act of obedience, Moses, with childlike faith, submitted to the will of God. So Moses spoke to the elders in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, and instructed them to carry through with what the Lord had spoken to him in obedience to God's word. You see, obedience and true saving faith are inseparably bound together. They're like the heads and tails of the same coin. Wherever you see true saving faith, there will always be great obedience 
to the Word of God. Everything else is just religious talk. You see, true saving faith produces in every believer good works, motivated by a heart overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness to God. Good works apart from saving faith produces what? Self-righteousness, pride. It promotes boasting before others. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, one of our memory verses, verses uh, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, lest no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is why good works can never produce saving faith. It eliminates the sovereign hand of God and his unmerited, unconditional mercy and grace. This is our only boast. It is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we follow the Lord in our Christian life, there is this necessity of obedience to the word of God. Before we go on, I would like to ask this question. Is there an area in your life today where God is bringing conviction of sin? Is he shining the light of his truth on a specific area in your life today? As we look at these marks of true saving faith, do not grieve the spirit of God and carry around this sin day by day. Repent. Sense God's forgiveness and be restored by the mercy and the grace of our Lord. Through obedience to God's word, I promise you, you will grow leaps and bounds in your faith as you pursue holiness and righteousness in your life. Jesus said in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Okay, so far we have seen in this passage of scripture, true saving faith is marked by, number one, living courageously for the glory and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, seeing with spiritual eyes, spiritual sight, looking unto Christ for our daily needs and seeing his sovereign hand leading and guarding and protecting our lives. Number three, living in obedience as we desire to please and honor the Lord through hearts filled with gratitude and thankfulness for what he has done for us on the cross, delighting in the things of God and his word. Now the fourth mark of true saving faith in this passage before us is found in verse 29. True saving faith is marked by great commitment. Great commitment to God. In verse 29 we read, By faith they. And they indicates that Moses' faith was so contagious that it affected everyone around him. You see, when Moses stepped out in faith towards God, he drew others to God. The text goes on to say, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. When we courageously step out in obedience to God's word and step out in our commitment to walk in the ways of God, it does not mean there'll be no challenges before us. It doesn't mean we won't have obstacles or oppositions put in front of us. But God in his sovereignty may intentionally bring us through them to test our faith, to strengthen our walk and our commitment to him. You see, God intentionally and deliberately brought the Israelites through the Red Sea, through the trials, through the temptations, through the obstacles and oppositions as he tested and strengthened their faith in him. This was a part of the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God to bring them through the Red Sea 
as though they were walking through dry land. All of this so they would learn lessons of faith and learn how to keep their eyes focused on God, trusting in him and committing their lives into his hands. Isn't the same today as God brings us through trials and temptations and things that happen each day of our lives? You know, if you look at them at face value and you just look at them with eyes that are right in front of you, it's very easy to to doubt God, to grow weak in your faith. Uh, Struggles each one of us have in life. These obstacles, these trials, they're not foreign to any of us. But it's amazing when a brother or a sister will pray with us and, and redirect our eyes towards God and to the cross and to the mercy and grace of God. And it is through that that we can see the Lord working in and through those things. He has a purpose and a plan for everything. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. So as we go through life and we commit our faith and our life to God, we need to understand that the things that we're going through are not a surprise to God. That he's working in and through those things to build us up, to strengthen our walk, and to glorify himself. God is sovereign in all things. So as the Israelites came to the Red Sea, And to the mountains surrounding them, and the Red Sea before them, Pharaoh's army of men were being held back by a great cloud behind them. And the people of God were terrified with no means of escape. And when they yelled out these words recorded in Exodus 14, verse 11, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? But Moses responded to the people with great commitment to God. This wasn't a time for Moses to cower or to buckle. This was a time for strong faith and strong commitment to God. Moses says in Exodus verse 14, verse 13, Do not fear. Stand by. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And the scriptures say that Moses stretched out his hands over the water. And the Lord swept the sea with a strong east wind all night. And the sea was turned to dry land. So the waters were divided. And now with great courage, keeping his eyes on the Lord in obedience to God's word, with strong commitment to the will of God, Moses stepped out by faith, going down into the bottom of the sea floor, with the walls of water being held back by the mighty hands of God. The people followed Moses by faith only having the assurance of God's word to get them across to the other side. And as they crossed the Red Sea and God kept his word, their faith and their commitment to God were being sanctified. Back into Hebrews 11, we read at the end of verse 29, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. What a difference we see in being a child of God and putting our faith and trust in him. By faith, they were led out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the bondage, through the wilderness, and now by faith, they walked through the Red Sea under the mighty hand of God. I read a story on the internet on this passage about, it was a, one of these liberal colleges and the professor was trying to dumb down, if not negate, a lot of the miracles in the Bible. And he said, well, during that time of the season, in that particular time, the, the Red Sea would only have been a few inches high. So that's why they were able just to walk through. 
So the student now is getting really excited, and he raises his hand, and he says, but professor, that even makes it a greater miracle that God could drown a whole army in four inches of water. Wow, God really is great. May God's word be true and man's be a lie. This is what true saving faith looks like. It keeps committed to the Lord, no matter how difficult the storms of life get. Focusing on Christ and stepping out in faith to follow him. May our words and our lives and the testimony of our witness for the Lord reflect this great faith. May our lives be conformed to the image of Christ daily as we see the working out of true saving faith in our lives day by day for the glory of God and his holy name. This is the testimony of those who have gone before us, who have walked the walk of faith. Well, this concludes the first two points on my outline, which are designed to challenge and encourage those who know Christ and to be sanctified and to grow strong in our faith and our walk with the Lord. But this text also shows us a picture of judgment. This text shows us a horrific day. A day where there was great sorrow and there was anguish and there was pain. I want you to see in my last point a picture of the gospel. A picture of the gospel and the need of a savior. You see, this was pointing to the Passover. And to the cross of Jesus Christ. Today, if you find yourself outside of Christ, and if God is making himself known to you today, and pulling back the veil that's covering your eyes to see God as who he is, holy, just, and righteousness, and separated from him, I want you to know that God has made a way for you to come to him. And it is through the cross of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. And I am certain that there are some here today that need to follow this one and only path. From where you are now to the throne of God. It is only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we can be made right with God. Please look at this text one more time with me, I beg of you. We read these words. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. This in the Passover was a picture of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Passover, God provided a way of salvation for his people. They were directed by God to slaughter a lamb and to take the blood and to apply it to their lives. They were to act by faith upon God's word and apply the blood to the lentils and to the doorposts of their homes. And the scriptures say that God sent the death angel. And as the death angel flew over the city, Wherever the angel did not see the blood on the doorposts, the death angel struck that house, killing the firstborn male of that house. And there was death, and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. But wherever the angel saw the blood, wherever the angel saw the blood of the innocent lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb without spot or blemish, Wherever the people acted by faith and applied the blood to the doorposts of their home, the death angel passed over that house. And there was life. And there was deliverance. And there was salvation. Every one of us here today is either under the wrath of God or under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no other houses There are no other places to be in life. Every one of us here today is either under the wrath of God or under the blood of Christ. There is no neutral ground. 
When we came into this world, we were born under the wrath of God, separated from God because of our sins. Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. But we, by the grace and the mercy of God, who are covered with the blood of Christ, we who have been redeemed by the blood of his cross, we who have been clothed in his righteousness, and by faith alone have turned to Christ and repented of our sins, and had submitted to the Lordship in our lives, his Lordship, believing and trusting in him, the death angel has passed over us. And we will not see death, but will have eternal life with our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this sacrificial lamb that the Passover represented was the picture of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said why he was baptizing in the River Jordan, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it talks about this perfect sacrificial lamb and Jesus living a perfect life on our behalf and taking the blood from that sacrifice and putting it over the doorpost, we by faith turn to the cross of Jesus Christ, believing the words of Scripture, and we admit that we're a sinner We admit that we fall short of God's glory. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. We confidently confess Him as our Lord and Savior, knowing that His finished work on the cross was perfect and appeasing and pleasing to God the Father. He has reconciled us to God. He has redeemed us from the pits of hell. He has made us a new creation in Christ. My dear friends, this was a horrific day in scriptures. You can't even imagine the darkness, the wailing, women screaming, children dying. This is a this tore my heart out looking at this passage of scripture. And there will be a day where the death angel will return. Maybe it's on the way home today. Maybe it's three years from now. There will be a day where we'll all stand before the Lord. By faith, they heard the word of God. By faith, they acted upon the word of God and put the blood over the doorpost. God's word says that by faith, we need to receive Jesus Christ as our substitute as our Savior. We need to put our trust and hope in Him, in Him alone. We need to take the blood for the forgiveness of our sins and apply it to our lives and to our hearts. So when that day comes, there will be life and there will be salvation. I hope and pray today you see the urgency and the desperate need of all of us to know Christ and know the forgiveness of sins, and know the assurance that we have through Jesus Christ on the cross. I hope and pray today that you would take this seriously, because this was a serious day, and it will be a serious day in the future. Please, I beg of you, think about your life. Receive Jesus Christ, for today is the day of salvation. Uh, Please stand. Uh, for the singing of hymn number 359.